Ross and Jalisa, I think this is his, your child, and I know it was a nice name, but I forget the name there. Can you help me out there? Chloe. Chloe, yeah. Welcome to Chloe. I think this is his first time in service, possibly. Huh? Her. Her. <laughs> sorry, sorry. <laughs> Thanks for that. <laughs> And uh, welcome our Israel delegation back. We're glad that you guys are back and hope to hear more about it there sometime. So, and uh, obviously on all of your minds, this is a special day, the 3rd of December, 25 years ago. Can anybody tell me what happened? Oh, I know it's on all of your minds. It was the time that the first text message got sent on a phone. So, uh, and it was Merry Christmas is what the first test, te- and everybody said, what's the point? Who would use text? And that was 25 years ago. We were looking at Ecclesiastes and uh, my uh, uh, dear wife, said, is there any way that you can make that not so negative, Ecclesiastes? And I'm thinking, no, this is a positive book. This is really, and if you just bear with me, the, the verses we're going through, like it's your birthday, your, your day of death is better than your day of birth. That's happy stuff. And you have a one-track mind, and I have a hard time keeping you with me, but that's about as happy as you can get. But it's your perspective that I need to work on a little bit this morning. <laughs> appreciate that support, Lester. I really appreciate that. And, and it's your lack of um, um, perspective. And... Here, uh, in the first six verses, uh, in the first six chapters of Ecclesiastes, he says, look, people, uh, you're not going to find happiness in under the sun. You're not going to find happiness in anything that you think you're going to find happiness. Success in business, big bucks, all kinds of luxuries, all kinds of uh, whatever you think. Of happiness. You're not going to find it there, he keeps telling us there. And that's good stuff. And then in seven, he switches a little bit. His terminology is still like it is, like, uh, but, but he changes. And, and I like the way he does stuff. He, he holds something out and he says, this is better than this. He's, the word better is going to come out. We're going to try to cover the first, uh, ten verses here, but, uh, the, the word, this is better than this. Not that that's bad. But he gives you, he holds one up against the other so you get perspective of it. And I love that uh, poetic way that he does that. For instance, if I tell you this statement, which is true, that this week, uh, Jeff Bezos reached the point where his personal worth is a hundred billion with a B. You say, okay. But if you'd have something to hold that up against, 
For instance, if a person, li- if you uh, live 80 years, and Jeff, out of the goodness of his heart, would say, look, I'm going to give you $1 million per day to spend. And you spend $1 million a day, and the next day, Tuesday, I'm going to give you another million. And I'll keep that up for 80 years. Every day of the year, you'd find a way to spend a million dollars. And when you reach 80 years old, he would still have one third, uh, he would have only spent one third of his fortune. A million dollars a day. So now, when I say uh, Jeff has a hundred billion, you have something to compare it with. It's not that a million isn't a lot of dollars. It's just when you're comparing it to a billion, which has one thousand millions. And I hope I'm right on that. It would be really embarrassing about like the name there. <laughs> I hope a billion, I hope she is one mil, uh, or a thousand millions. So, in the beautiful way that he does it, this is why I like Ecclesiastes. He holds it up and he says, this is better than this. And it doesn't mean that this is bad necessarily in some cases, but he just gives you perspective in life. He gives you something to compare it with, and I think that's so neat when he compares it. With that, he gives you counsel for a better way of living, a better way of grabbing a hold, a better way of thinking about things, a better way about thinking about life. Ecclesiastes 7, better. A good name is better than precious ointment, and the day of death than the day of one's birth. Now, that's not negative. Stay with me here. The day, <laughs> the day of your death is an exciting day. It's when all the things that you put up with now, the struggles and the temptations, are going to just roll away and roll off your back. When we look at Chloe... She has a whole lifetime ahead of her. And you know, those of you who are parents, those of you who are middle age, those of you who are my age, you know that she's got a lot of hills to climb and a lot of wind to fight against and a lot of temptations and struggles that she'll face, Lord willing. And... And he's comparing this and he's saying, if you live a good life, if you have a good name, if you don't just tramp on people, and if you uh, have a good name, and he compares how important a good name is, he says a good name is much more important than, than money. In this, in this uh, verse he says than expensive uh, perfumes. In Proverbs, in various places, he, he says money better than, uh, he, he often has this thought in his mind. A good name, you know, uh, a bad name, you can't, when you live your life that you have a bad name, you can't lose that very easy. You can do, every, it's amazing, you can, you can do pretty good 
And you can lose that good name so quick and so easy. But he's trying to get us to live a wiser life, a better, a better life. And he says, more important than your success in your finances is how people view you. More important than you winning a contract is how your peers, the, the flavor and the taste that it lets in, in their mouth when they think about you. When they, you know, we have the, the word a Ponzi scheme came from Charles Ponzi. He took people for a ride. He guaranteed that they would get so much money back if he, if they give him his money. And then until it was all over, a lot of people lost millions of dollars and he went to jail for a while and some banks went down back in, uh, in the twenties or thirties, I think. And so his name is associated with a Ponzi scheme, a bad thing. But a good name, you know, and, and even in a product, sometimes you have um, a shoe or a wrench or a piece of clothing or a car that is a good, has a good name and it has a name for quality. And then a company buys it and they go on that name for quality for a while, but they cheapen it up and all of a sudden then the name is, is gone. And a, and a good name is more important than... It, it, and, and it's not that money isn't good. It's not that land and things and value isn't good. It's just that when you hold it up alongside of a good name, a good name and good characters is better. It's a better way to think about life. Verse 2, it is better to go to the house of mourning than to go to the house of feasting. For that is the end of all men, and the living will lay it to his heart. And now Solomon, this is, he's saying here it's better to, to, to think about to go to the funeral than it is to go to a wedding. or a, a, And he's saying think about this, and, and he's thinking along the lines of Psalms 90 where it says, Teach us, Lord, to number our days, to keep the perspective of the amount of days that we have. Now, this isn't negative. Uh, please don't think of it as a negative thought. But y'all are not going to be here long. When you pull it up on a side of uh, eternity, this is a, a little dash that you're going to be here, and you're not going to be here long, and that's a good thing. That's a good thought. Because Jesus is building some some wonderful real estate for you. And he's waiting for you. And we're going to get together and we're going to have a good, good supper. And it's going to be wonderful. And the things that you're struggling with, the, the illnesses, the, the uncertainties, the fears, the tears are going to melt away. And you're going to, you're going to embrace that for eternity. If you're... If you're thinking of it right, there's a better way to live. There's a better way than thinking, oh man, the best of life is gone. I'm, I'm just about, uh, I'm 30 now. <laughs> and what can you still do at 30? Uh, instead of thinking and having that perspective in our youth-oriented culture that, that worships youth and 
people will get ten surgeries to look younger. And, you know, I get that. You don't want to look like me. I get that there. But uh, if you, uh, Solomon says, if you tweak your perspective, you're going to embrace the thought that it's better. It's better. Uh, to be reflective, to consider, to number your days, to realize that, and, and not to be preoccupied with death, not to be so preoccupied with the coming world that you're no good in this world, but to be, to have that there uh, assurance, that blessing, that thought is, this is temporary. Uh, how did Paul say, you know, I kind of want to go. And, and Paul had a lot of pressures in life. And he, doesn't he at one time say that I, I was almost, I was beyond what I could deal with and I was almost uh, despaired of life itself? Somewhat suicidal, that's not the right word, but some discouraged. And uh, he said, but I, I really want to move on. But while I'm here, I'm going to promote Jesus. But what I really want to do is go home. And that's a, that's a better way to look at things. Sorrow, uh, and I know I have a hard time selling this here as not negative, but uh, verse 3, sorrow is better than laughter. And it's not saying that laughter isn't good. Uh, so, uh, Solomon spent part of the first time here in Ecclesiastes saying, hey look, it's good for you to appreciate what God has given you. Appreciate that house. Appreciate that there are corn on the cob and uh, barbecued chicken and uh, coal salad and baked potato. And you say, thank you, Lord, for your blessings on me. Appreciate those little ones around your table. Appreciate a table and appreciate the house. Appreciate your health if you have it. And, and, and Solomon says, hey, it's good for a man to appreciate those things. Sorrow is better than laughter, though. For by sadness, the countenance of a heart is made better. The heart of the wise is in the house of mourning, but the heart of the fools is in the house of mirth. Uh, there was a time in my life, Ruthie and I first became Christians we grabbed a hold pretty harshly. And I don't know if I can explain this, but uh, we went from this side to this side, and we went all out. And we became fanatical. In our church group, it wasn't okay to carry a Bible, and we started carrying a Bible. And it wasn't okay to get together and read the Bible with family or something, and we started doing that. They preached in our church that you should greet one another with a holy kiss. And nobody did it. And I'm not stretching that there. I'm not saying the ministry, when you met the ministry, you did that. Their thinking was more that you do that at communion. But so the, the first time out, and now I'm a young man and we're just married, we started dressing super, super plain plainer than our church required. And the first time out uh, where I said, I'm going to do whatever. 
and I greeted the row of young men my age standing in a row outside there where they tied the horses. The conversation died. And so did I, kind of. <laughs> the pressure of that there, but I felt like, no, we're gonna, we're just gonna do everything. And we kind of, I don't know if I can explain this, but life became very hard. Because that's how we kept score for a while. And then we were visiting an aunt of hers. <coughs> of all places, this was a couple of years in. Of all places, her aunt worked at Philhaven Hospital. And we went to visit that aunt. And Aunt Mary, uh, Aunt Ruth, took us around and we met different people in that hospital. And there was uh, something that happened in that visit. And we laughed for the first time for a while. And it was healing. The Bible says, and Solomon, the same man, says that laughter can be healing. It can be like medicine. Like. And somehow that was healing. But there was things that I learned through those difficult times we went through, too. And so I appreciated the laughter better. And I quit taking myself quite as serious. And we looked for deeper values in scripture than, and there was, there was something that broke through from that visit up there. And I don't know if I can explain it. That's about as good as I can get at it. But as I was studying this lesson, I was thinking how that laughter healed, but also going through those periods of difficult time taught me some things that possibly I needed to know. And there's that, that there are verses that Many of you have quoted already. I walked a mile with pleasure. She chatted all the way, but left me none the wiser for all she had to say. I walked a mile with sorrow, and never a word should should said she. But oh, the things that I learned from her when sorrow walked with me. You know, I think there's things we learn through the difficult times that we go through that are hard to learn other ways. And Jesus, God doesn't waste any of those times, even when the difficult times are our fault, our fault. But as Solomon tries to get us to have a better life and think of things in a better way and, and compare things, he holds the two up for your consideration. And he says it's better when you're going through sorrow. And to understand that right, you're going to have to understand he doesn't say that that laughter isn't important. That laughter is very important. It is like medicine. It does have a healing effect. When things are so intense and so tight, sometimes the laughter breaks through and the healing can begin. But there's things that you learn through going through the sorrowful times. As you look, they're, they're not very pleasant. They're not very nice. And it doesn't matter whose fault they are or what you're going through. But there's things we learn from those difficult times. And, and Solomon says, you know, and so, yeah, when Paul was under pressure, it's like when Jesus was in the garden and 
and that's close to the olive garden over there, I think. But when you press, press olives to get the oil out of them, you need to press them. They need to go through that to, for the good things to come out. The good things in your life, the things that you're helping me with and helping those beside you with, some of those were caused by the pressure that you went through in life. And Solomon's just trying to get us to look at that. Verse 5, it's better to hear a rebuke of the wise than for a man to hear the song of fools. For as a crackling of thorns under a pot, so is the laughter of the fool. This also is vanity. It's better. Which would you rather have, a compliment or reproof? Which does the most for you? You know, a reproof is hard, but some people care enough to bother to give you reproof. Uh, as a minister, uh, sometimes you say things wrong up here and it's embarrassing and sometimes you wish you would have done it and you drive home and you say, ah. And sometimes your fan clubs get, get you out of that discouragement and they say, way to go, I appreciated the message and they encourage you. And then sometimes somebody will walk alongside of you and say, uh, and reprove. And when that's not in a tearing down way, but when that reproof is in the right way, there's so much that can, good that can come out of that. I was looking for the verse this morning where that couple helped one of the disciples and corrected him. Uh, and who was it? Who was the couple? Do you, do you remember there, Marver? Yeah, and said, here's, uh, and, and they helped him, and it seemed like it was in a nice way. It seemed like it wasn't critical, but it was a reproof that they were, they were bothering to, to help. Solomon says, it's better to hear reproof and rebuke of the wise. There's qualifications there. Verse 7 and 8, Surely oppression maketh the wise man mad, and a gift destroys the heart. Better is the end of the thing than the beginning of thereof, and the patient of spirit is better than the proud of spirit. And I'm trying to take these two verses, and I, and I think just, uh, you probably have a better thought than I do, but uh, it's, it's better not to take shortcuts. It's better not to get somewhere by uh, um, a gift or a, a bribe or a free ride. A gift destroyeth the heart. It's better uh, to look at things patiently and get there in the time it takes with, a, with earning as you go. I don't know if that makes sense. It didn't to me either, so don't have to worry about that. Verse 9, Be not hasty in thy spirit to be angry, for anger resteth in the bosom of fools. Um, this week we were coming out of Duluth, and we were coming out of the mall where there's a turn lane, and the light turned red. And, it, and it's out along... 
53, where 53 makes a left, and then you go down there in front of the mall there. And so I hesitated. I didn't stop. I hesitated there because the light was red. And the guy behind me laid on the horn. And it wasn't one of those beeps that interpret to, hey, you can make a right here on a red, go ahead. It was a... what are you doing sitting here? And the light had just changed, and he just laid on the horn. And uh, Ruthie reached over and took my arm there. <laughs> I would have been fine. I'm too old to fight or too old. To, you know, but your old man, well, what is his problem? And you just want to pull the emergency brake and get out and go back to him and knock on the window. You, you can't do that. Today you wouldn't make it out of Duluth again there, but you just... But your training kicks in. And I was reading a story this week of a fireman was at a service station. And a car came in through and mowed the pump off. And immediately there was gas all over the place. And he turned around and ran. And then it said, then his training kicked in. Uh, there was fire already going and... The car that ran into the pump and the pump went over into his car. It was all burning. But the phrase that I read a couple times this week, and then his training kicked in. And he turned around and went back to the car that had mowed the pump off. And the flames were really getting vivid at that time. And he opened the car and drug a 70-year-old person out who had had a seizure or something and passed out and he drug him and just as he got him out of things things blew up then I was reading a news article about out there in uh, Vegas where that their shooter was there was a guy that was a first responder and he started getting out of there at first and then it said that same phrase but then his training kicked in and I think on this thing of anger, we need our training to kick in. You know, this thing of anger is mentioned so many times in so many ways, and we see so many people in the Old Testament have a problem with it. And we know in our own lives that it can become a real issue. And... You know, I was thinking through this thing of anger a little bit in my, in my own life. And, you know, you have an argument, men, let me talk to you there first. You have an argument with your wife or a sibling or a, a daughter or a son. And the end of the day comes and people go to bed mad. Men, whose job is it to break the stalemate? What does leadership mean? It's the man's job to go to that teenage boy that is feeling up against the wall and sit down and say, I'm sorry, or can, let's talk about it, or let's work this out. It's a man's job to do that. It's a man's job to instigate the healing to instigate the discussion. Men, with your wives, if you get, and if this doesn't apply, praise the Lord. You get to the end of the day and there's tension there. And 
nobody's talking. Whose job is it to make the first move? What does leadership mean? And, you know, it's so hard. Everything in me don't want to make that first move. I just don't. And, and there's so many ways that anger comes out. Disciplining children. Uh, I think that the, the generation that I grew up in was a little bit more. I know of, of a person back our way who was potty training and grabbed a young person and, and had wet his pants or messed his pants and he was pulling him on a corn row with a foot. Very cruel. Parents, dads, it's not okay. You're not going to get the results you want when you discipline in anger. And we're so prone to do that. And you know what you know what blows me away is a lot of the people that are guilty of anger, man or lady, aren't aware of it in their own mind. They say, Me, you know, I don't I don't really have an anger problem. They have to be shown that. We, I worked with a guy at High Steel that when he'd get angry he'd throw a grinder that was running, that was clicked on, throw a grinder across the floor that was running and just upset stuff and stuff like that. And he didn't realize he had a, he really sincerely didn't realize that he had an anger problem. But it comes out in control and silent treatment and manipulative and emotional. uh, You know, men, in your anger, you might be coming home every night, but you left three years ago if you are not the emotional support that you need because of the anger and the selfishness that you're displaying. And, and, and this can go, I'm picking on the men because I know my own heart. But I can pick on the ladies. Ladies, so you're mad. Do ladies get mad? And you go to bed... And it says that if you all go to bed mad, your prayers aren't going to be answered. Your religion's not going to go anywhere. So ladies, you're sleeping on the seam of the mattress, way over here. And then he comes to bed. And 30 seconds after his pillow, head hits a pillow, he's sleeping. And I'm guessing here, but I'm guessing that doesn't make you happier. I'm guessing you're mad. So it's the husband's duty as a leader in the home to make these steps. You feel that you were in the right place and he was in the wrong place. You feel like it's his place to reach out to you. But you're sleeping on the seam of the mattress and he just falls asleep just like that. But what would it... What for difference would it make if you could just get yourself to reach over to him and say, I'm sorry? What would it do? All that pressure drains out of you. You've felt it. 
if you're my age, all that bitterness and that anger just drains out. And it's life is worth living again. But Satan is such a cruel taskmaster. And he knows that you're not going to go anywhere. And he knows that anger is going to keep you apart. And he knows that it can do damage to your health, to your heart, to your complexion. To Anger comes out in every kind of way that you can think. And it pours out of... Uh, in, in, and yet you can't make that first step to resolve. You can't learn how to break it down and to resolve it. It's so hard. To make that, because it was his fault. It was his fault. And he should make that first step. Tantrums, control issues, silent treatment, emotional hostage, disengaging, are all part of your anger. If you can fix the anger, you can fix the rest of this. You don't have to. You don't have to live a better life. None of us do. And we're all faced with this. There's not a person here who isn't faced with Satan's temptations. You know, so many times a person that is angry feels like they're the victim. So many times when I'm angry, I feel like I'm getting the short end of the stick. We always say, it wasn't my fault. It was her fault. She's so unreasonable. Why can't that woman listen to me? You know, Jacob, it just, anger is a silent killer. Headaches, Digestion problems, anxiety, depression, high blood pressure, skin problems, heart attacks, stroke. Anger plays a big part in all of those things. Anger can take a, a toll on a person. I thought of Jacob when he was ending things up. And Jacob had, had his own problems, but he was getting to the end of life. And he called all his sons together, and you're going to remember that. And somebody mentioned it lately. And he picked two of the sons there, Simon and Levi. And he, and, and he said, you know, uh, how did he say that? Uh, your, your anger, I, I didn't write down the, the, the words that he said, but he said, your anger was not okay. Now, as you go back there, you realize that they dealt, and he picked two things. He said, you, you were cruel to animals without a cause. Listen, men, you were cruel. You took a cow and you just hit it for sport, is what he says. You were cruel to animals and you were cruel to that city. Remember when they went and told everybody that they'll work with them if they get circumcised and then they attacked them and and killed them. And he said, you know, your anger there was just wrong and he curses their anger and says you're going to be scattered for it there. And as you look at why they did that, someone had taken their sister and abused their sister, raped their sister. And that's why they did what they did. 
And Jacob was saying, and I thought of that in this context. You lay on your side of the bed and you think, Satan makes you think or you think on your own selfishness, my own selfishness. It wasn't my fault. This one wasn't my fault. This one was not my fault and I'm not going to be the one to, to say I'm sorry. I'm going to wait this one out. But anger such a, takes such, it's, you pay such a price for that. Somebody wrote this here. My pain turned to sadness. My sadness turned to anger. My anger grew into hate, and I forgot how to smile. And I thought, you know, that's, that's how it goes eventually, the end of anger, when we don't deal with it, when we don't, when we're not there. And I, I would just like to encourage you here. If the Spirit taps you, and if it would be all easier for all of us men to, to realize that we're the ones that are, you, you want to talk in charge. You're the one that is ma- making the first step. You're the one that's reaching out. So, just for all of us here, if you can just make yourself break through and say, I'm sorry. And you can say, well, but I was wronged. But look at the price that Simon and Levi paid and they were, they were, I can at least understand why they were mad, why they were angry. <clears throat> I just think that's, that when we as brethren start going down this road tomorrow or the next day and something doesn't sit right with us, uh, I, I, I wish we could be like those people that it said, and then their training kicked in. You know, it, it, a fireman gets so much training, and when they're out there, and all of a sudden things are coming apart, and everybody's running this way, the firemen are running that way. They're running towards it. And I wish in this thing of anger, I wish we could say, and then their training kicked in. And they turned around and ran towards the fire, owned up to it. And deal with it. Verse 10 says, Say not thou, what is the cause that the former days were better than these? For thou dost not inquire wisely concerning this. That's a lesson to us old folks that say, boy, it used to be better than it is now. Uh, There's nothing new under the sun. Same old problems, same old struggles. And saying, you know, I think we remember the leeks and the garlics and how the corn on the cob tastes when we were little. But we forget a lot of other things like the lack of running water and that kind of thing. So it says, don't look back and say, hey, things were better back then. Let's kneel for prayer. Father in heaven, we thank you for preserving these words of wisdom. And we just pray that for each one here, the specific part that you want us to understand, that you would help us to grasp. And we thank you that uh, the different writers in the scripture have different personalities. And we thank you for using them. And we just pray that you would use each personality in this room 
And Father, just help us to have perspective. And especially the thing with anger that, we, that you mentioned so many times. Help each of us in our lives to uh, have our training kick in and help us to overcome if we have a problem with this. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.